Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 99 from inside a bubbling shit-filled toilet bowl here <laughs> in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Felisco. And today we have with us our our, our Catholic correspondent, <laughs> yeah. John O'Connor. He only does yeah. movies about the Catholic Church in one form or another. Yes, yeah, that... I mean, no, I also did 200 Cigarettes, which you I believe is the ultimate atheist film of all time. <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, but I'm uh, glad to be here because not only was I raised Catholic, I was also raised two minutes from where Kevin Smith was raised. And really? I am so immersed in the VSQ universe. This is an honor to be here. This is, you, I mean, you're the perfect guest then because... Anyway, yes, please, Kenny. Where, where, uh, where, where were you raised? I was raised in Monmouth County, Middletown, New Jersey, uh, mm-hmm. directly, directly next to Leonardo. Uh, I have rented movies from RST Video. Uh, yeah, this is. I'm unique. This is the only thing that I could honestly say I'm an expert on is the early VSQ things. I used wow, to post on the message board. I used to be in the chat room. The chat room moderator was Andy Milanakis, and he banned me when I was 12. Do you you have any current relationship with Andy Milanakis? None. (laughs) Andy Andy, Milanakis, I don't say this often. I'm a little embarrassed, though I shouldn't be. 
I think his show is one of the most brilliant shows that has ever been on TV. <laughs> I know every word to that theme song, and it's not like I saw it when I was like 12. But I that, that was on in my 20s. I fucking love the Andy Milanaka show, and I don't feel like anybody else uh, holds it up as a high-point adult comedy, which it is. The weird thing about the Andy Milanakis show is, one, I do have a complicated relationship with Andy Milanakis as he did ban me from the VSQ yes. chat room when I was 12. But then on top of that, it was the very first show where I had friends who worked on the show. And oh. that made me not watch it because if I ever had like a bad opinion of it, I was it taught me a great lesson because like a lot of my friends wrote on it and I just pretended that I never saw an episode, even though I think I saw, saw probably like two episodes. But I didn't they're want to all, talk shit. They're all uh, geniuses, obviously. Um, <laughs> but uh, it does. It's it, all right. Well, we don't need to talk about Andy Milanakis. We need to talk about Kevin We're, Smith and the, and the Viewers Universe. I would say Andy Milanakis is kind of a shorter Kevin Smith. <laughs> That's it. They're the same. <laughs> they're the same person. They're so far from the same person. I. They're <laughs> like. I. They're. they I. All right. So uh, cards on the table. Um, don't like Kevin Smith's movies. Uh, I'm fine with Chasing Amy. My guess is if I watched it now, I would not like it. Um, did not like Clerks when I saw it. Think Mallrats is one of the worst movies ever made. Um, I thought Dogma when I saw it was a masterpiece. And then, um, I grew up. And, uh, and, and I think that, uh, I think like Cop Out's one of the worst movies ever made. I think I think really he's a he's a very bad writer and maybe a bad director. So I know that's going to put me in conflict with a lot of people, maybe on this podcast and maybe in the world. And I know it's not a nice thing to say, but I got to tell you, you know, I, I got to be me, and that's how I feel. Upon rewatch, there is something about this movie I don't hate. Um, I think it ends really well. And I wish the whole movie had the spirit of the final 10 to 15 minutes of this movie. That's my feeling. So um, I'm going to just I, – I, I don't have drastically dissimilar feelings about Kevin Smith as a filmmaker with you, Kenny. Like I, I, I take – I have issues with the fact that um, he loves his own words more than anybody loves. I mean, not anybody. Sorkin probably loves his words more than Kevin Smith. But Kevin Smith really loves his own words. But Sorkin's uh, words are lovable. Yes, uh, like, I, 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 but but I'll I'll say this. I understand why Clerks was what it was, and I understand why Kevin Smith might not be capable necessarily of of growing outside of a very kind of specific lane. Um, that that's just that's where he lives, and and. I don't necessarily hold it against him, even if I'm not necessarily a fan. That being said, I went into this movie with very low expectations. I saw this film in 99. Uh, I thought it was fine. It didn't really leave much of an impression. The shit monster was, or the shit demon was the thing that stayed with me uh, for what that's Never worth. Never forget the shit demon. And I kind of went into this with very low expectations and was pleasantly surprised that this movie actually has some stuff to say 
I am not a religious person by any means, but I'm generally speaking a fan of magic realism, of the supernatural. And if you take the religious component out of this film, which I understand is is nearly impossible to do, but if you're capable of doing that, there is a fun supernatural magic realism comedy to be had here that I was kind of on board with. And a lot of the problems that I generally have with a Kevin Smith film, for whatever reason, didn't bother me as much in this film. Not really. Couldn't. We'll find out why, but that's where I stand on it. Here's where I stand on Kevin Smith. As a young boy from New Jersey, there was nobody more important to me than Kevin Smith. From the age, from the first time I saw Clerks as an 11-year-old and seeing that it was like places that I knew it was incredible to see that in like a, a film, like sure. the the quick stop. It was it was so important to me. And then when I was uh, I was fourteen when this movie came out, I remember I was walking in Red Bank, New Jersey, past Jane and Bob's Secret Stash. Kevin Smith was in there, and my stomach dropped. And I went in with my mom, and I bought a screenplay, the screenplay book of Dogma, and Kevin Smith signed it for me, and said like the message read. Uh, don't show this to any clergyman. And it like truly was probably the most important moment of my childhood. <laughs> like, do I like clerks now? Probably not. I think it's like, I dis- I do think Kevin Smith is a decent writer who's writing things that he's not, he shouldn't be writing. I feel like if Kevin Smith was a television writer in like a sitcom room, which I... I have a comment about Dogma with this. He has a sitcom rhythm to his writing that I, I, you don't really see in movies and it kind of stands out that I, I appreciate a little bit, Uh, but he's a terrible director. He's an awful director. He's probably, I would say the worst person, the worst director in history to make eight movies. I think he's the worst director in history to make movies over a $5 million budget. Um, more than one, I would say. 100%. Like, the fact that um, Deb Kaplan and Harry Elfont were are in movie jail uh, after Josie and the Pussycats and Kevin Smith wasn't there after Mallrats is fucking insane. And, like, I've seen Mallrats close to 30 times that I'm saying this. I right, So that's so funny she said that because I literally was watching Can't Hardly Wait before this went on. Um, 10 minutes ago, it, it might even be, you know, still here. Cause I watch, I only watch Pluto TV. So whatever's on is, is what I watch. Um, I, I, Pluto is, 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 is the go-to okay. of all true, uh, television fans. So, um, <laughs> are they sponsoring this episode? I wish I'm a big Pluto fan. Maybe they would give me free er TV. Um, <laughs> So uh, I agree. I agree with you on Joseph the Pussycats. I agree with you on those two. I think they're uh, tremendous and it's crazy. Um, I do want to say like about Kevin Smith, uh, his story is interesting. I'm a big fan of people like putting everything on the line uh, for what they want to do and having having it succeed. I think um, he has been a force for good in a lot of ways. Um, He kind of waited into the Hollywood pool before it was cool to be someone like him before it was cool to basically be a, a stoner comic book guy. And, um, that's a good thing. I think we've gotten a lot of really, really, really good media and content because of people who felt comfortable, uh, entering this, this fray because of him. He seems like a good guy. He seems like he really cares about younger talent. 
he seems like he really cares about the um, about the IP and about the work and all that. Uh, in a lot of ways, he is. I mean this. In a lot of ways, he is the best of us. Um, he just probably shouldn't be directing movies, in my opinion, and he shouldn't be directing movies like this. This feels to me, and, all right, and just to, to set the stage a little more, when I was 17 in 1999, I distinctly remember making a top 10 movie list of all time and Dogma being number nine. So I thought this was revelatory when I saw it. And the reason I thought it was revelatory was I was a little, you know, I was a little budding atheist who little budding <laughs> atheist and a little budding, like, you know, want to be socialist um, who despised organized religion, like deep in my bones. Right. And to have someone put a movie out that basically said, I also despise organized religion. This is an enlightened point of view. Um, you can feel comfortable having this point of view was actually really helpful for me. Now looking at it as like an older person who still has no real love for organized religion, but has a lot more empathy and compassion for people who do practice uh, religion and practice religion and, you know, the, the organized religions uh, of this country and others. Um, I think it's, so fucking petty and so lame and so inch deep and so smug um, uh, and so preachy. It's like one of the preachiest movies you will ever see. Um, I really, truly despise everything it aims for right now. Um, so that's really where I come down. Uh, oh, wow. I'm, yeah. I, I mean – Go ahead. Go ahead, John. I just I just want to say uh, I'm the exact opposite, where I feel like this is the greatest movie ever made to feature the line snooch to the motherfucking mooch. Uh, nooch. <laughs> uh, it's probably true. 100. It's well, it's it is. easily his best movie. And it's it's actually a good movie because the thing that I never noticed until last night, he actually says what he's doing. The movie is fucking Star Wars, like completely. It's. It's like a beat for beat Star Wars. Every character you meet is just like another fant like a Bible version of like a George Lucas character. It's stock. The story works. It's a great movie. And I'm done. The story we'll go beat 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 for beat on whether it's his best movie, which it might be, because again, I haven't seen Chasing Amy in quite a while, but I remember thinking that was a very good movie. The thing about the Kevin Smith thing that like really doesn't um, really doesn't square for me, and I think I'm very much the minority on this one. I find Jason Mewes to be charming. I think Jason Mewes or Jay is the best part of all of his movies. I think he's funny. I think he's weird. I know you don't, Phil, and that's why I think I'm very much in the minority. But he reminds me of people I actually know. Now, don't get me wrong; like he's certainly the worst like i'm not trying to say he's not the worst and the most problematic guy and like a horrible like wannabe rapist that's not it but i find jason muse who is like basically a drug dealer who was like kevin smith's like drug dealing friend who he found kind of funny and charming to be a funny and charming presence in these movies and as far as like you know goofballs on the side kind of uh greek chorusing 
the Kevin Smith movies. I think that this that's a big reason why these movies were and are successful with the people who do like them. Still, I don't like it. Still, I think everything around it is awful. But okay, I I, I, I do think that. <clears throat> first of all, I I, I don't necessarily. Uh, take issue with what you're saying about that jason muse feels like a real person just to be clear he's just not a person i want to spend any time with i can tell you right now that the jason muse that you see in those movies is 100 percent who jason muse is because when i was 12 we found out where he lived and trick-or-treated at his house and it was a group of 12 year olds all dressed up as like south park characters we knocked on his door he said trick or treat and then we said treat and he showed us 12 year olds his asshole yeah okay cool that's and then cool. closed the door that, that, that tracks i yeah, mean so I, that's who he is i mean he's also from all, all right, accounts you're, you're right sean he sucks and, <laughs> and everything about the movie sucks now. well no i mean i he's also you know kevin smith has talked about how he was pretty much high on heroin during the making of this film yeah, from beginning sucks. to end so and this is not, 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 you know, I, I, I just want to say that part of the issues that I have with Kevin Smith actually have a lot more to do with like technical stuff. It's like his, his inability to like cut a scene, you know, like staying in these fucking wides for these long scenes and it doesn't do him any service. It hurts his scripts. It hurts the performances, you know, the, the weight that's put on the dialogue when you have these long fucking takes that he doesn't know how to direct the performances out of, it, it's just, it's, and, and you're watching two guys, I mean, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are fucking stars. Like these guys are bona fide stars. And there's moments where you're just like, dear God, like how did you make them this bad at times? Like they're genuinely bad. And I, you know, to your point, Kenny, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and defend Kevin Smith as a director but I will say that this is his best film, at least in my humble opinion, because it feels like it means something to him, like genuinely means something. He actually has something to say, whether or not you agree with what he's saying or how he's saying it. This film has some semblance of substance to it. I think Chasing I, Amy tries that as well, but I've watched that recently and it does not hold up particularly that's well. That's interesting. I, yeah. I strongly, I strongly disagree with what he's saying um now and i think that that that's not insignificant because it's so smug the way he says it every character who has any um moral standing particularly mm-hmm. people like sama hayek's character alan rickman's character chris rock's character you hear it over and over again it's not how you believe it's that you believe right um and i take great issue with anybody telling you any way to believe i take great issue with people telling you you should believe or you shouldn't believe don't believe this way believe this way organized religion is bad believing on your own is good i think that that ultimately is where he i think he takes great pleasure in pointing out how catholicism is full of hypocrisies and contradictions i don't see any i don't see any I don't take any pleasure in the parlor game of saying that, you know, a religion that's been around for 2000 years has done some shitty, shitty stuff. A religion that's, you know, that that's based on three conflicting books uh, has some, ha- has some stuff in its text that doesn't fly today. I don't think that's particularly cool or clever or revolutionary. And I don't, I also don't think it's cool or clever or revolutionary to say, but by the way, you know, you should believe in God, which is really lazy to me also. 
So I, I do think that that and and and. But I don't. I don't know that the movies. I mean, I guess. I guess ultimately, I didn't. I didn't have the same takeaway that you did. I mean, the takeaway I, that I got from the film ultimately was, I don't. I don't necessarily actually think that he's preaching much of anything other than spirituality like believe in what you want to believe in and if it gives you guidance and if it makes you feel good more power to you that's the impression i got yeah but, I mean. as yeah as someone who went to a catholic school it's the most re- and he went to a catholic school he went to olph i went to saint anne's uh basically catholic school is like it just beats you down with this guilt and you do rebel against it and like it is it's almost an uneducated, like I would almost say what I got was an uneducation there. Uh, and I assume the same for him. And when it comes to religion, like he has a lot of ideas and he's trying to share them with the world through this movie. And it is kind of uh, inelegant how he's uh, <laughs> stating it through all the characters. Cause all the characters essentially talk exactly the same in Kevin Smith movies, yeah. which I would yeah. say it, I would discredit him on that. But like, <laughs> I uh, I do I do think in terms of like uh, him the, the his discussion of faith in it I thought was probably more nuanced than most of the other stuff that happened. I, don't, I, I just I just don't feel that way. I don't feel that I I feel like this is this seems like he to your point, Sean. Because I I mean I, I hear that it's well taken. I feel like he spent seventeen eighteen years getting this uneducation. And then the next period of his life, he was saying all that stuff that happened to me then, all these things I was told is, is true. That's all lies. And then he never got to the point where he kind of said, live and let live. I think this whole, like, it, it's one thing to do a movie like, which is a brilliant movie, like Spotlight, which, which is not actually in any way about faith. It's actually about hypocrisy and power and, and the way systems protect people. And so that's one way to say this church is hiding behind something holy to do unholy things. But it felt this movie felt very clearly to me. And again, I you know the reason I bring up the the Samaya character, Albertan character, Chris Rock character is because they're they're all moral goods. And the way they over and over again say it's important that you that you believe, important that you have faith. And I understand the point, which is the uh, the idea of it's important to have spirituality, but it's not. By the way, I say that as a spiritual person, but it's not. It's not important. But I, I don't think this was an indictment of the Catholic Church as much as uh, because, like, for one, they never talk about child molestation at all. Like, I think what it, it's more similar to is like how Scorsese has always used Catholic imagery. And it goes back to this weird Catholic guilt. That's I think I and this is just coming from somebody who was just in therapy an hour ago talking about my Catholic guilt. Uh, <laughs> like. It it is so it is so strong and like and when you were describing him going like eighteen years of uneducation I'm like yep had that and then what happens is you rebel against it and then you feel so guilty about rebelling against it that you do make something that is like kind of not hard hitting like dogma when you are trying to hit hard and like explain your your premise of how you feel about religion he can't because it's so complicated and torn up inside he knows he's not supposed to say there is no god but he also wants to say there is no god and it's this like weird convoluted thing and that's why i think it's a good movie it's i think mess. that's i think that's right i think that's fascinating what you just said i think it's fascinating i'm more fascinated by the idea that kevin smith doesn't had in my opinion 
guts might not be the right word because it's coming from a different place. You're, 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 you're definitely selling me on the idea that this is a lot more kind of deeply baked in to who he is than that is an intellectual idea. But he didn't have a problem saying that the, that the Catholic Church was okay with slavery. He didn't have a problem right. saying that the Catholic the Church yeah. was okay yeah. with the Holocaust. So yeah. there were some things that he felt comfortable being like, yeah, you guys are full of shit. But he didn't have the guts to go right at the clergy, right where they live, and say, three guys I know were also molested by your, you know, by, yeah. by the town. Can I, can I just – and I, I agree with – I truthfully, I agree with both of you in this situation. I'm not trying to be a mediator. I'm just trying to say that what I think is interesting about this movie and why I think it is the only movie of his worthy of having this discussion is all of this messiness. Like I think that this movie is flawed. I'm not going to sit here and and necessarily like ride for this movie. We'll talk about obviously the issues I have with it and, and where we all land in terms of ratings. But I I commend the – quite frankly, the confidence and the sort of the drive that it took to get him to make this thing, which obviously was kind of a lightning rod for controversy. It had its issues. It, it, you know, we'll talk about that as well, which led to it being quite frankly, his most successful film of all time, essentially. I mean, cop out was a little more successful, but I think it's a messy, weird fucking thing. And it's a guy working through his issues in a way that is, Sometimes successful, sometimes not. It is very preachy. There's a lot of monologues. There's a lot of him telling us stuff rather than showing us stuff. But I also think that that's kind of why it's interesting. Like it's, I think it's an interesting movie. So the difference is the difference is between what what I'm saying and what I think you guys are saying, or at least what you're saying, Phil, is um, I I find it fascinating the ways in which he failed because sure. I think this is a failure. But I think I think there is some nobility to this failure. But I can't just give him the bonus points because he decided to go after the Catholic Church. Like, frankly, you know, our man fucking uh, who did Boondock Saints kind of did the same thing, right? Yeah. So you, you don't get bonus points just because you put the Catholic Church on Catholic Church on trial. Um, and but I do think that, like, I, I think that this is one of the more interesting movies that we're going to do. Because usually when we have a movie that elicits this kind of conversation, at the yeah. end of it, we sit back and be like, well, any movie that can make us think about this, stuff like this, make, make us talk this way, is probably a good movie and worthwhile. And which is exactly like what happened with us in Black and White, right? Where we both mm-hmm. kind of let, went into the podcast being like noble failure and ended the podcast by saying worthwhile experience that's not how i feel about this <laughs> whereas whereas black whereas black and white waded into waters that people truly were afraid to wade into this to me that. tiptoed into waters that have been tiptoed into since the beginning of catholicism this is like this is this is where catholics this is where catholics and christians this is Bro, this is what Protestant. This is where Protestants, Protestant, uh, where the Protestants came from. The, the 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 questioning of the values of the church and the tenets of the church have been around mm-hmm. for two thousand years. So I, I appreciate that he did it, and he's not you know just blindly agreeing to everything the Catholic Church told him. But this isn't revolutionary to me. The only reason I do give it credit is because it's aimed at kids, and and, and no, I mean I mean, <laughs> I mean that because it's aimed at teenagers. No, I know who, who probably either felt this way deep down 
or felt this way at the top of their head and weren't comfortable talking about it like me. And that's why I was, in, in my way, that's why I appreciated it as a kid. And it's why I appreciate it now. I think that's why I appreciated it when I saw it in theaters in 1999 was it, it was like actually outside the box. Cause I, at the time I was in Catholic school and like, I'm like, wow, this is like another way of thinking while also set with the characters that I'm learning about for an hour each day. But the thing that I appreciated it more about it more last night than previous viewings of it was just in terms of an entertaining movie. I was not expecting it to be kind of just like a fun little romp. It's a fun adventure with like, these characters and like like Phil was saying, it's so poorly directed. I was I, I got really bored at times with like there's zero camera movement. It's all just it feel if if yeah, it feels like a college kid got a tripod and just is like, I can make a movie in a weekend. At the same time, it is fun and they're all there is like uh I'm going to say it right now, I think it might be the first of like the nineties independent directors to do anything really interesting or outside the box. Like, I, you know, it's funny you, there's a couple of things as, as you were speaking there that, that kind of occurred to me. The, the first was, um, he talked I, about, I, I don't want to drop that last comment though. So keep going. I <laughs> yeah, we'll go back no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to piggyback on it. I, 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 because I think that what's interesting is he went to Robert Rodriguez to direct this film. He didn't want to direct it. He had the script. He gave it to Robert Rodriguez and said, will you direct this? Rodriguez said, you're too close to this. This is a very personal thing for you. And also, quite frankly, might have been like, there's just too much talking in this movie and I, I wouldn't even know how to direct this even if I wanted to. Um, but this speaks to this idea of this club, this 90s club of, of independent filmmakers. And I don't know that there necessarily would have been anyone in that class that would have been like, that would have raised their hand and said they want to do this movie. Um, I, and, and I think that says something. Now, to your, to your other point, Sean, about like how poorly directed it is, he wrote this script before Clerks. He did many, many revisions of it for many, many years. But one of the big stumbling blocks for him was he wanted to have enough money to do the effects properly. And I'm just like, what? There's like some wings and a shit monster. Like, I don't know yeah. what exactly you needed like special effects for. Well, you needed a budget. I mean, you like, you, you, you know, I don't know if you sure. the first but you didn't really result. use it. I really appreciated the way the wings looked. Um, oh, the wings look dope. The wings look dope. Yeah. Oh, and you know what also looked great when they opened the church doors at the end, and a light shined on their face. I'm like, <laughs> like <laughs> he needed money for that. Here's the thing: it's so I can pull that off in my child's room right now. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing: that's 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 unexpected about this podcast for me. I. You'll see with my ranking, my before ranking. Mm-hmm. I, your 99 you, ranking, you mean? Or your no, before podcast? No, not my 99, my before the podcast ranking. Because it's so okay. funny. You guys came on, you're like, I didn't hate this movie. I didn't hate this movie, right? But my not hating this movie is, like, not above a 50 for sure. My, like, <laughs> my, like my, I thought, like, I truly thought this was one of the worst movies we were going to do. Because I've seen it since, right? I've seen it in the, in the interim sure. quite a bit. Like, Again, I thought this was a masterpiece. So, like, as I <laughs> as I went back to it over the last twenty years and realized what was I thinking, what was I thinking, what's wrong with me? 
this is not a masterpiece and I haven't seen it in probably 10 years. I thought this was going to be one of the worst movies we, we did. It's not. I'm not trying to say it is. And I didn't give it in single digits or double or, you know, in the teens or 20s or anything absurd like that. Um, so we I covered worse movies with Sean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 <laughs> you know, one of the worst movies, but I never liked that movie. Um, and I guess, I guess, all I guess, all I'm really trying to say is, uh, I, I don't mean to come down on the side of like this is a piece of trash because that's not how I really feel. No, I know. I just think that like you guys are giving it too much credit. <laughs> it could be. I was exceptionally caught off guard with like how much I did enjoy it. Like I, I was too, Sean. Yeah, I took two negative notes the entire time. And oh, they that's were, not me. <laughs> I took more than that, my friend. The first was this movie, uh, the setup was great, and it kind of falls off a little bit as soon as Jay and Silent Bob show up, which I don't think Kevin Smith would like to hear. But, like, I was, like, so immersed in, like, the beginning of the movie and, like, finding out about Bethany and, like, meeting those characters Way more than seeing Jay and Silent Bob, like, talk about fucking and sucking for the next 15 minutes. I thought the movie actually started pretty weak for me. It's once the actual journey starts and and the mission starts that... And and maybe that has something to do with the fact that generally speaking, Kevin Smith movies don't have a journey or a mission, right? Like it's just yeah. a bunch of people sitting around fucking talking, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But um, so once the mission starts, I was kind of on board. Um, what hit me at, up top in the first, like I want to say, fifteen minutes when I was just like, "Fuck, this is going to be a slog," and I'm really going to was uh, the airport scene with uh, with Ben and Matt. When I was just like, oh, fuck, is this going to be two hours and eight minutes of just like people on just talking with just like wide shots and just a lot of like. But not just uh, talking, Phil. Yeah. It's not just talking. This is not character building stuff. This is talking. It's it's, it's expo about stuff you don't even really need. Yeah. yeah, Kevin Kevin Smith was should have gotten into like stand up comedy like in the early nineties, and I think <laughs> yes. it would have it would have saved like a lot of like fat guys in flannel like a lot of grief in their lives if he did do that. But he also probably wouldn't have succeeded. So like, but like, I do think like every single one of his movies, like every character is Kevin Smith riffing the entire time and i'm just like i'm glad he found the speaking engagements because he's like so good at that like he should have been doing that all along and this mm-hmm. movie is just monologue after monologue after monologue and some are good and some are really bad i remember well, he's a good storyteller yeah uh, i remember I, I, as a kid i auditioned for a, a school play with the asriel monologue which one not the holy bartender oh my God. <laughs> Holy bartender is pretty good. Like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Do you know how to make a holy bartender? Oh my goodness, guys. Come on. Uh Kevin Smith, I Whoa. I uh I the whole thing had the whole thing. Having been this guy, I still may be this guy without the weed. And the whole thing has the air of your most annoying stoner friend telling you how it is. And being wrong a lot. <laughs> Like that's and, and and maybe it's maybe that really is too close to home for me. 
Because I have spent so much time in rooms high just talking at people about the way it is. But being on the other side and not being able to interrupt them, it's so rough. And that's <laughs> what you know, can I just uh, – something just kind of occurred to me in a weird sort of like epiphany, which is that a lot of these 90s independent American filmmakers are all different versions of guys I worked at video stores with. Like they, they all sort of have that um, – this might sound worse than it should, but like there's an arrogance to it. There's there's a Tarantino and a Rodriguez and a, and a Linklater and a Smith. Like all these guys that all have – you know, extensive comic book collections and extensive movie collections, and they all think that they know more than than everybody else. The difference, of course, is that all those other filmmakers that I just mentioned are better writers, ultimately. You know what I mean? Like, those people, A, know how to write dialogue better that sound like people. No one sounds like anyone in a Kevin Smith movie. No one. Like, they don't sound like human beings. And... Yes, there are some funny jokes in there, which is why you stick around, I guess, if you're a fan. But otherwise, it's just – it can, to your point, Kenny, be very sort of soul-deadening where you're just like, I can't escape this. It's like an onslaught of just the same person because, as you mentioned, Sean, they all sound the same because none of them have any you know, identifiable voices of their own. So it's, it's a lot. I do think that is what makes – jay stand out in those movies though is he's the only character that feels different than the rest (laughs) like like in every single movie like in clerks dante and randall are essentially the same dante's like a whinier randall Mm -hmm. like that's that's it like they're all yeah they're all just they're 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 they each have one emotion and but they're all kevin smith feeling that one emotion it's it's yeah sorry go these aren't like that. Like that in and of itself isn't a fatal flaw, right? Like I, yeah. Whenever you know, whenever you think um, of a, whenever you say something to the effect of this person doesn't sound like people, that in and of itself isn't a fatal flaw. Like every David yeah. Mamet movie, they sound like weird robot people. Sorkin, and, same. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, and exactly. Right. You see, there are movies all the time that we all like that where you just kind of. Go with the world that they're speaking. Yeah. You can you can extend that to Josie and the Pussycats. You can extend that to Clueless. You could there are a lot of movies like that. So so it's that uh, coupled with the way it's directed, coupled with the way the actors are directed, coupled with the all, all of this extra fat on this movie that brings it to two on two hours and eight minutes. Like I, you know, not not I, I watched Citizen Kane yesterday because you know I want to watch Mank and be just up on it. This movie is longer than Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I will say when I, when I turned, when I turned on Dogma and I saw that it was two hours and eight minutes, I was uh, noticeably depressed at that, that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Can I also say that there's, there's a, a very sort of childish. What? No way that every fucking character has to. Like, everyone's dialed up a little bit too much. Everyone is a little bit too broad. And I and it's because that's who, that's who fucking Kevin Smith is, right? Like, you've seen him, and, and, and he's excitable, and he has this childish kind of, you know, um, arrested development kind of vibe to him, not the show, the, the trait, that I just kind of... There were just times where, especially with Matt Damon at times, where he just gets goofy 
and I just it, it just really grated on me. I, I don't Damon know. Damon doesn't really know what to do with this. Uh, Affleck rules, but Damon doesn't really know what to do with this stuff. Oh, see, I I think I disagree so hard because one of the notes I wrote was <laughs> Matt Damon is honestly having the most fun he's ever had at this movie. He's having a blast, and it's contagious. You might every. Be. Every time he was on, was like, give me more, give me more Matt Damon. I couldn't get over his 90s haircut. Those bangs were just too much for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's incredible that, like, the next time you saw Matt Damon and Ben Affleck together after Good Will Hunting is this movie. This movie, this movie is a perfect time capsule of 1999. I think it sums up 1999 cinema where it's not that great. Uh, even though like 99 has some of the best movies ever. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. So what I was going to say is it's not that great, but there is some greatness there. And to me, this is the most, most, it has stars in it. It has like one of the greatest casts ever put together. It's like a yearbook of 1999. It's the who's who in New Hollywood, all in this movie. And to me, it's so in the middle that it actually is the perfect 1999 movie where it has some greatness, but it also has some terribleness. Like the shit monster, I hate. I don't like shit jokes. When that happened, I like almost fast forward through it. I hated it so much. But yeah. it's so in the middle that I'm, I appreciate this movie that has so much to say yet says nothing. It's so neutral. It is a neutral movie that also made me happy. I, there's so much you just said there. I know. I, I loved every bit of it. I'm going to try to not deal with every part of it so I don't totally filibuster over Phil again. But um, I want to talk about the Affleck and Damon of it, if sure. that's cool. Yeah. So. Even- can I just give one bit of context to that? Yes, Which course. is that it's not supposed to be Matt Damon. It was originally supposed to be uh, Jason Lee. Uh, so he was supposed to be playing Loki. And then with Affleck? With Affleck. Sort of a Chasing Amy reunion, I guess. Yes. And then scheduling got in the way and Jason Lee couldn't do it. And then obviously Goodwill Hunting had come out and all of a sudden it became a big deal for him to have. So they get paired together. I don't know what this movie is if it's Jason Lee, quite honestly. Well, it's probably very similar. I mean, and, and they were they were in Mallrats together, and like yeah. they're yeah. they're his they're his two two players essentially, sure, right? Sure. Um, I I've, I always found that. So I guess what I what, what happened? Good Will Hunting comes out in 1997, uh, and those guys are the hottest things in the world. Affleck, I believe, does Armageddon in '98. I don't remember exactly what David does in '98, but like these guys, they're they're about two of the biggest stars in the world. Correct. Affleck, part of the reason why Affleck had any Hollywood um, footprint going into Good Will Hunting was because of Mallrats. Um, Mall, he was in Mallrats. He was in Dazed and Confused, and he was in Mallrats. And, and he, I, I always thought before I saw Dogma, which I didn't see until home video, actually. But I always thought before I saw Dogma that it was two guys doing a cameo for their friend. And then seeing the movie and seeing that they're actually kind of central to the – not kind of. They're central to this plot, uh, and they have as much or more screen time than anyone was kind of a shock that made me, had to re, made me have to recalibrate exactly what this movie was. This movie no yeah. longer – this movie no longer could live in the indie sphere. Mm-hmm. 
once you had two of the biggest movie stars in it. If it was Linda Fiorentino leading this movie with, you know, Alan Rickman and even Chris Rock, you could still call it kind of an indie journey. But once you had those two guys, it became this much bigger thing. And I also think because of that, you have to judge it a little differently. You have to judge it on par with these other movies that were made for this kind of money with those kind of stars. I mean, truly, the cast is incredible. It's It's incredible. It's Linda Fiorentino right after Men in Black. Like, so like a a star, Mm -hmm. Affleck, uh, Damon, Chris Rock, Salma Hayek, Alanis Morissette, uh, Alanis Morissette, like, just like a year removed from uh, Jagged Little Pill. Right? Or two years? Is that 97? It's a year after her follow-up to Jagged Little Pill. She meant a lot at that moment. Yeah. So, I mean, Rickman, Carlin, oh my god, Ethan Sue plays the shit monster. Boo. (laughs) (laughs) Is that true? That is true. Ethan Suplay <laughs> does play the shit monster. Wow. Because he was part of, like, you know, Kevin Smith's stable. So, yeah, like, and it makes sense. He is a member of the Pussy Posse. If anyone's going to be the shit monster, it's going to be a member of the Pussy Posse. You know, I really want to do the Pussy Posse draft <laughs> on street traps. Um, uh, yeah, oh there, was, there was a moment, and, and I still can't really wrap my fucking head around it. Part of it is because Chasing Amy was really well received. And there was this idea that Kevin Smith has grown up. But there are some more people, two of the greatest comedians of all time. So two people that anyone who's ever watched comedy uh, respect. Two of the hottest actors in the world. Some of the hottest actresses in the world were lining up to work with this man. So what was going on? Uh, well, there's also the, the, the dark cloud over this movie, which is the Weinsteins. Yeah, that's that's why people were lining up to work with Kevin Smith. It wasn't like he was going to make them look good. The only person he makes look good is Chris Rock, who's a bad actor, I think, to begin with. He is a bad actor. Well, I also I also think that we 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 really shouldn't bypass the Goodwill Hunting component as well, right? They write that script and they give it to Kevin Smith and they ask him to direct it, and he's smart enough to be like, I can't fucking direct this. Like, you don't want me to direct this, (laughs) but he does produce it and he does bring it to obviously brings it to the Weinstein's. And that movie gets, I don't want to say it gets made because of Kevin Smith, but it certainly gets some, you know, wind at its back because of Kevin Smith. I think that also, like, you know, he's in the fucking Weinstein stable, and I'm sure that they want to help him get this passion project. This this is ultimately, like, the movie he's wanted to make since he wanted to make movies. So I, I, I respect that they they get behind him and they help him make it. And to your point, like... Ben Affleck's in this thing. It's after Goodwill Hunting. Like, there's there's a lot of things kind of working to its benefit in terms of getting this cast together. They still only get ten million dollars for the budget. It's it's not like he gets a shit ton of money to make this thing. No pun. Yeah, he, he's, one of, <laughs> he's he's one of Weinstein's, I think, uh, two success stories. Um, there's Quentin, obviously, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's Kevin Smith, and almost everything else Weinstein did was just that of note was just Oscar Jason. Um, dimension yeah, not dimension notwithstanding, right? Yeah. Like dimension's its own kind of thing. But he more really, Bob than Harvey, if I'm not mistaken. It was more Bob than Harvey, yeah. uh, who gets a pass for also being a monster. But um apparently, but, yeah. But yeah, so yeah. it it that is a weird thing for for the Kevin Smith component of it that, you know, he and I don't know if he had does he ever talk about the fact that that, that was a big 
part of his career? I think I, I think he made a comment about how he didn't know or something like that was going on, which is clearly a lie. The word the 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 saddest part to me as somebody who does have a soft spot for Kevin Smith is he never made a movie that was even remotely good without Harvey Weinstein. So no matter what, <laughs> all of his all of his like movies that people even liked were under. Uh, are now under a dark cloud. Well, what's interesting, too, is he talked about recently, actually, that there was talk of a sequel. Harvey Weinstein apparently called him up about a week before uh, the New York Times article was about to drop and called him up and said, we should do a, a dogma sequel. And Kevin was like, I mean, I don't really know what that is, but... <laughs> I mean, I guess I can chew on it for a bit. And then a week later, obviously, the news comes out. And he thinks that Harvey just called him to see if, like, Kevin Smith still thought they were friends. You know what I mean? Like, that it was just an, a, a a last sort of, you know, am I a monster? Do you still think I'm a monster? I don't know. Something like that. Will you sit behind me at my trial? Oh, yeah. the the Well, yeah. Also, probably, like, seeing if anyone has reached out to Kevin to to mm-hmm. give a comment because he knew uh, a week he probably definitely knew this was coming yeah so, like the most there's also guy. like there's the money of it too right which is that if if you know harvey's also like if i can weather this storm this had a big cast and if i can pull these people together again there's money to be like it felt like there was money to be made if i can if i can somehow get through this um, that was that such a weird call like oh yeah when 20 years later harvey weinstein calls out of blue and says i got a pitch for you Dogma two. What do you think? <laughs> like, like so Kevin Smith should have known that Harvey Weinstein was like going away. Yeah. <laughs> he should have so, um, Let me. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm going to give a synopsis for the people who haven't seen Dogma. Two fallen angels who were rejected from paradise find themselves banned in Wisconsin. Uh, they're now headed for New Jersey where they find a loophole that can get them back into heaven. The only catch is they will destroy humanity. A group bands together to stop them. Written and directed, obviously, by Kevin Smith. Dogma opened on November 12th, 1999 in third place with $3 million behind Pokemon the movie and The Bone Collector. Uh, but it did beat The Messenger and Anywhere But Here. So there you go. Uh, it would go on to make $44 million on a $10 million budget. It's the highest grossing film in Smith's View Askew-niverse series. Uh, it's got 67% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 85% from audiences. I'm going to read a brief uh, chunk of Roger Ebert's three and a half at a four-star review of this film. Kevin Smith has made a movie that reflects the spirit in which many Catholics regard their church. He has positioned his comedy on the balance line between theological rigidity and secular reality, which is where so many Catholics find themselves. He deals with eternal questions in terms of flawed characters who live now, today, in an imperfect world. Is the film less than perfect? It is because Smith is too in love with his dialogue. Uh, like Bernard Shaw, like George Bernard Shaw, I'm sure that's a comparison that's made often. He loves to involve his characters in long, witty conversations about ma- matters of religion, sexuality, and politics. Dogma is one of those rare screenplays like Shaw uh, that might actually read better than it plays. Smith is a gifted comic writer who loves paradox, rhetoric, and unexpected zingers from the blind side. Those who approach those whose approach to religion is spiritual have little trouble with dogma because they will understand the characters are imperfect, sincere, clumsy seekers trying to do the right thing. Those who see religion more as a team, a club, a hobby, or a pressure group are going to be upset. This movie takes theological matters out of the hands of spokesmen and entrusts them to, well, the unwashed, and goes as far as to suggest that God loves them and is a Canadian. <laughs> 
Um, it surprises me not one bit that that it's a Canadian since he's obsessed with Canada. I, I couldn't tell you why. I think he just likes Canadian accents or something. It's it's one hundred percent Degrassi uh, because like <laughs> uh, we were. I remember like it was always on PBS and we love, I love Degrassi too. And he references it heavily in Chasing Amy. He does. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Um, that's that's yeah. That's what it is. Uh, Ebert's review is interesting. I, I think that I remember this getting good reviews. It's funny. I think this movie um, actually also kind of was weirdly an Oscar player. Um, before it came out, I do think that there was this idea that this might be Kevin Smith's Oscar movie, which, you know, like a screenplay nomination, something like that. Something yeah. like that. If, if, if everything aligns the right way, like again, chasing Amy was considered really good and clerks was also considered really good and also considered kind of revolutionary. Yep. So I do think there was a ton of goodwill towards mm-hmm. Kevin Smith and the shots per earlier point. This is, even though it's, you know, within the viewers universe, this is outside of the lane, as was Chasing Amy. Like, dealing with LGBTQ issues back then for a stoner bro, uh, and again, what seems like a somewhat sensitive way for the time, don't really remember. Um, yeah, he he did push forward, and he is non-judgmental, and he is clearly a pretty fucking decent guy. Like, I think that, I think that Kevin Smith's, like, general kindness compassion decency comes through in almost everything he does and i think the only thing holding kevin smith's movies back are his ability to tell the stories yeah. cinematically mm-hmm. um and i also think he you know as as ebert said as you said phil like it's it's not to me it's not an editing thing in in post it's an editing thing on the page like oh, sure. cut those conversations down. You do not need a hundred and thirty-page right. script here. Yep, yep. I, you know, I, I think that it's. I think it's also interesting that this film was controversial. Like, not not to be glib, but like, really, the church got all up in arms about a movie that has a shit demon. Yeah, they. That's the Catholic Church. They get. They don't want any. They don't want any publication about any. They don't want any media to reference them or anything. They're. Oh, they've always been that way. It's. It's insane because I remember like going to see this movie and my mom being like, "But the church said you shouldn't go see this." Like I very much remember that conversation. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> like, like I really don't care. Like I'm gonna go. <laughs> It's Kevin Smith, the yeah. voice of my generation. He he also courted it, right? He wanted it. That was obvious from the first from that the definition of disclaimer, followed by mm-hmm. the disclaimer, uh, which I despised with every bone of my body. Um I did I did actually think like when I read the I remember reading it as a 14 year old being like, that's funny. And then last night I was so annoyed at that platypus joke that I was like, I, I didn't take a note, but I was just like, this is so, that's so fucking lame. <laughs> it's like, it's just like, I, I, I don't know, man. And that whole thing feels like, you know what that, that feels like to me? It's kind of like that joke, which is an amazing joke in Batman when Joker puts on the glasses before Batman's going to hit him and says, you wouldn't hit a guy with glasses. glasses The whole thing feels like, it feels like 
Kevin Smith being like, I'm just a bro. I'm just a bro from Jersey. Went to Catholic school. Got some thoughts. Going to put them into this movie. Just don't judge me too harshly, man. And, and fuck you, man. I'm judging you real harshly. You spent $10 million here. You put it out in fucking 2,000 screens. You got half like a David. You cannot pretend to just be a guy sitting on a couch who has some thoughts about this shit. And I think that's kind of where my, 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 this weird vitriol I have is coming from. I do think he's just, he's just acting as if like it's not a big deal that I'm putting this out there. Well, it is. Like it, it, it is a big deal. Stop hedging. Uh, and and I, I and I don't appreciate like like the final viewpoint. I think it's like I, I think it's to be like the 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 most kind of um the simplest view of of life on Earth, which is just believe however you want. But uh, I, 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 I I don't I, I understand he's coming from it from a different point of view where where for eighteen years he was told no 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 you have to believe this exact way or else. We'll see you in hell, motherfucker. You know what I found myself thinking a lot about as I was watching this film was um, Preacher and uh, This Is Not the End and and kind of Seth Rogen in general a little bit. And, this is and, the end. This is the end. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Um, and uh, the sort of the, quite frankly, how much smarter Seth Rogen stuff is than, than Kevin Smith. Um, and the intellectualism that exists underneath what seems like a goofy exterior and how rich those movies are, how much better directed those movies are. Um, this isn't me just sitting here saying that, that Seth Rogen is, is great, but it's like, there is a crossover. There's a Venn diagram between those two guys. And in a world where Kevin Smith could evolve as a filmmaker and evolve as a writer, he might've been able to actually get into that category, but he never does. That is true. And it also, there is the, like, when Kev, Kevin Smith made Zack and Mira make a porno, like, Seth Rogen was always talking about, like, what an influence Kevin Smith was on him. The the thing that separates them is Seth Rogen is smarter, obviously. But then yes. on top of that, he uh, is kind of like an actual film student. Like where he is, you know, uh, like constantly learning and he kind of used every piece of the Buffalo to get him to where he is. And I feel like Kevin Smith, because Clerks worked and Clerks worked after him going to film school for a month and dropping out and just getting a bunch of credit card debt. You don't learn that way. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, That's not how you learn. You, that right. was a, it was an accidental success. And once you have that accidental success, it's not like they do now and uh, where like, if you have a hit indie movie, you all of a sudden direct a Hulu uh, show and like learn the steps to actually direct. They just gave him a big budget comedy in Mallrats and it fucking blew up in his face. So then he had to make another indie movie that accidentally worked. And like, I, it, my heart goes out to Kevin Smith. Cause like he was afforded opportunities that I don't think would happen nowadays because of like him being an unexceptional white man. But at the same time, he was given these opportunities and he did, it did work for a little bit and then it just didn't anymore. And that's like kind of heartbreaking because he has a huge fan base. Like he could theoretically be making movies to the, to the day he dies. But like, 
he just like lost it. And I, 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 I feel, actually, I feel for him. I actually think that, um, Zach and Miri feels like the moment that it got away from him. Like that, that felt like, I remember when that script came out, I remember when, I mean, cause I, you know, I think Kenny and I might've both been at UTA around that time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 2005. Yeah. I think it was pretty, yeah, it was, it was right when and, I would be back. And I remember it being a big, I remember people being like, this is it. This is the moment when he, this is the ascension. This is when he finally breaks out of the view askew bullshit, quote unquote bullshit. And or, although there is kind of some crossover there, but my point is that I remember seeing that in the theater and being like, he's still a bad filmmaker. <laughs> like he yeah. still hasn't learned anything. Um, and had that been the chance, I mean, who knows what could have been possible, but you know, now, now we are I, where we are. I think there's a, I think there's another view, uh, askew of this, which is he lived the dream. Like this is the, yep. what he, yep. what he did, he lived, lived the dream and continues to live the dream. Mm-hmm. Right. Like what he did with having, Four consecutive movies and then several after that that built this world, which was essentially the world he grew up in with with some weird supernatural elements and bringing in everything he's ever thought of, uh, is is everything you could ever hope for as a kid who's obsessed with like dick jokes and Star Wars. Um, and I don't mean that. I don't really mean that directly. No, like he really like he he had the most charmed career. Got to make. More than eight movies, right? You guy probably got to make twelve movies, something like that. Yeah. So you have, I, I think I can list them: Clerks, uh, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Dogma, Jane, Silent Bob, Strike Back, Jersey Girl, uh, uh, Clerks Two, uh, Zach and Mary Make a Porno, Red State, uh, Tusk, uh, Yoga Hosers, and Silent Jane, Silent Bob reboot. So, oh, and Cop Out, Cop Out. So 14, 14 movies, and he could, yeah. and I, and I think he can make a movie tomorrow if he wanted to. He certainly could make a low budget movie, but this isn't this. this I guess what I'm saying is like this isn't M Night Shyamalan, where M Night Shyamalan I think really is what you said, Sean. Like he had it, like no one ever had it, and he blew it because of like because of like his own hubris and you know reading his own fucking press clippings and getting over his skis. Kevin Smith never really did that. He just kind of did what he can do over and over and over again. There's enough people who are kind of like charmed or interested in what he does. I think that like to me, you know, to me, like there's a strong Jersey thing going on there. Whereas, you know, like we have a lot of filmmakers, particularly um, around our area, a little older than us from the New England, Boston area. You have high, you have medium, you have low. You have a lot of people kind of repping for that area. There aren't a lot of people repping for Jersey the way he does, particularly this low class kind of way. And mm-hmm. it, and I understand like, and this is a, you know, I'm from Westchester, Long Island, the South Philly, the, the, you know, South Jersey, the Philadelphia area. This does feel like home to me in its own way. Even clerks, as much as like, I felt like, what am I watching? I got it right. Like I got what I was looking at. So I think that there's a lot and always will be a lot of, um, built up goodwill for what he does and what he has done. And I think what I am uh, bringing to this conversation is unusual for a somewhat very unremarkable overweight white Jew from the tri-state area 
to just look at this stuff and just be like, this is garbage, I think is unusual. I I think so. Because, I mean, I remember when there were, like, vulgar-thons uh, in Red Bank, like, every year, where it was basically they he would a marathon that he would host of all of the view askew movies and like people would line up and like the city was taken over. It's a very small town, but taken over by Kevin Smith fans. And it was, they all look alike. They are all like kind of thinning hair, like skullets. Uh, Like they look like Kevin Smith. Like he created an army of himself and yeah, everyone who looked like that loved Kevin Smith. And I was a fat 12-year-old, and I loved Kevin Smith because, like, not even just because he was a hometown boy, but, like, it was interesting to see somebody who had, like, the same background as me do it. Like, he showed you that it was possible. Making the same kind of jokes. Yeah. Like, there is, like, again, I think, like, fucking, like, Clerks never worked for me, but, like, what did work for me was, like, I loved the fucking Death Star thing. Like that, there's something about that monologue from that guy that was like, "This is the kind of shit I talk about." No one ever would have the guts to put this in a movie. Now looking back, it's so like it's so tortured and exhausting to sit and watch that guy deliver that monologue so stupidly. But at the time, I felt like, "Yeah, this is my kind of shit." So I, I, I don't know. It's, I, I, it's weird. I have, no, I have no more affinity for this movie, but I have a lot more affinity for the man. <laughs> I, I think I just want to give a little bit more context in terms of how this film kind of came to be. Uh, it was supposed to be released in November of 98, but Disney bought Miramax. They got cold feet. They were a little worried about it. Miramax bought the film in its entirety back from Disney, released it through Lionsgate in 99. Um, you know, I guess you can take that for what it's worth. I, I, I guess to Kevin's perspective, it must be great that the Weinsteins backed the movie in the way that they did. Uh, Kevin Smith on the DVD commentary talks about Linda Fiorentino was very difficult to work with and that on some days she wouldn't even speak to him. And then in retrospect, he wished he offered the role to Janine Garofalo. I then, thought this she was difficult to watch. She was really bad in this movie. Oh, I don't agree. Um, but I, I thought that I thought she was fine. I thought she was absolutely fine. I mean, she wasn't. Yeah. She she did as well as anyone can do in a Kevin Smith movie. Everyone. Yeah. Kevin Smith movie. Janine Garofalo would have been so much better, would have brought something to it. Every scene she was in, it was like she hated every moment she was in. Well, but I also feel like that's kind of Janine, that's kind of Linda Fiorentino's vibe. She always looks like she doesn't want to fucking yeah. be there. I mean, she's never. I mean, all, Dream, all of her roles are disgruntled, angry people. That's not, first of all, that's not true. But second of all, like that's not a fucking that that's not a a good characteristic if you wanted an actor. Janine Garofalo would have been a lot of fun, and I would have liked watching that movie a lot more. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, I, I think that it's interesting that after he had his heart attack in an interview, he said that she called him up after he had his heart attack to see if he was okay. He apologized to her and said that he never should have said what he said about her and that you know he appreciated that. My point is they mended any bridges. He felt sorry that he'd ever said the things that he said and he was happy. Oh, she's Catholic. It should have been Janine Garofalo. Sorry. Um, Alanis Morissette was originally offered the role of Bethany Sloan, but she couldn't do that it. That would have been terrible. Because of her world tour. Um, but then he offered it to, but his first choice was Gillian Anderson. The role of God was originally written for Holly Hunter. That's why the piano line is still in there. Um, you know, it, it's, 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 I, I don't know what this movie is with Gillian Anderson as Bethany. I think that's bizarre as well, but I mean. No, I, I think you do need a Janine Garofalo or uh, Linda Fiorentino. You need somebody you need somebody who seems angry at the world. That's the whole purpose of this character, Bethany. She's Kevin Smith's angry side. Uh, she's the only angry character in the entire movie. Uh, you also need that droll sense of humor, right? That can take the piss yeah. out of it. Otherwise, like it, it. I think it would. Kenny, I'm not. I'm not saying Janine Garofalo might not have been better. I love Janine Garofalo. I'm not. I'm certainly not shitting on her. I guess I'm just saying that I like Linda Fiorentino. I like the energy that she brings, and there's a. Oh. I did. It didn't bother me. You know. I don't know the way you know. Um, you know, she's obviously the protagonist of this movie, and uh, she did almost literally nothing. Actually, that that made me sympathize or empathize with her on her journey. Well, uh, what about the time she ran off into the water and cried? <laughs> fell into I the actually water. the, the <laughs> scene that actually I did like was the scene between her and the scene with her and Ben Affleck when they're on the train and they're both talking about. I actually like that scene. Uh, that was great. About, yeah. Where they're both talking about what it's like to be left, what it's like to be, you know, what faith mm. means in another person. I thought that was a really nice scene. Yeah. Um, they apparently, <laughs> um, they apparently had a deleted scene that was at the end of the film that actually really would have clarified for me, which is she shows up dead and you don't know how she got injured. Bethany at the end of the film. Um, you, you kind of Yeah, no, when she unplugs God, like, she gets hit with, like, a lightning bolt. Something happens, but I thought okay. it was more... I, I thought it was and it, more, like, cuts her stomach. I thought it was more like a stigmata-ish thing, but whatever. Go ahead, Phil. But yes, I know when she got hurt. I didn't know how. The, the, the long story short, there, apparently the, 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 the shit demon and one of the triplets that's been decomposing shows up at the hospital and Bob has a big fight with this monster and then the monster injures her and that's how she has this gash in her side. Should so, monster comes back? That didn't happen. Yeah. Should monster comes back. After they handled um, it with the, one of the worst jokes in movie history. That's what so was bad. the joke? Kills the all aerosol. odor. Yeah. Oh, it's so bad. It's... Yeah, I mean, listen. I'm just, I'm just telling you how it is. These are the things that were there that could have happened. They didn't happen. Whether the film is better or worse for it, I, I you know, we can obviously feel, discuss that. But I, you know, I, I, I feel I, like uh, Kenny swayed me. By the way, I feel like I'm now on Kenny's side. <laughs> this is no, by the way, I'm on Kenny's side. I'm not going to fucking rave about this movie. I have a better rating than you do, probably, Kenny. But like, I just no. we went into this with you loved this movie as a kid. And I didn't. So I went into this from a space of 
well, I didn't like this then. I'm not going to like it now. So I, it went up a little bit in my esteem. Whereas for you, you just went through an existential, like, why did I ever like this? No, it mirrors my, I mean, I went through that like 10 years ago, but it, mir- sure. it, it, it kind of mirrors my own kind of like spiritual evolution, right? <laughs> like at 17, sure. this was where I was, you know, and it's not Catholicism, it's Judaism, but it's the same kind of idea, right? Yep. It's the same idea of like being brought up in a religion uh, is really unsettling. It's unsettling to have these people essentially tell you that these things that I – these things that we can't prove are the truth. And that's horrifying. I, I hated that feeling as a kid. But as I've gotten older, it's not even on some like, you know, whatever makes you happier, you know, religion is better or worse. I am very much on some like, no fucking clue what's happening. I don't know what's going on in the world. Like, I, <laughs> I, I, could, anything could be right, anything could be wrong. And like, having any kind of judgment whatsoever is crazy to me. Right. But like, I still, like, yeah. I still, not, I, I have my kids, I'm still not raising them in a religion. I like, it's still like, that's still some shit that like, you know, kind of gives me the willies. I so mean, I, want, I would like my kids to know where they came from and then let them make a decision whether or not religion means something to them. Than, than religious yeah. to me. Yes. But, yeah. but I mean, all of this is to say that weirdly, I watched this film and I, I, I hate to even utter this in the same sentence as dogma. But I thought about Angels in America, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and I, I couldn't help but sort of think about, I like magic realism. I like what he was doing with it. I like that he infused his own Kevin Smithness into this type of arena. I don't think it's entirely successful. I'd say most of it isn't successful. But it didn't seem like a religious movie to me. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just because I, I just didn't really, I just didn't see it that way. But I mean. I think why why I thought it worked last night, and I, I already mentioned it kind of, but to me as somebody uh, who understands that Kevin Smith loves comic books and stuff, this is his most comic book-esque movie oh, he's ever made. And you could, you could actually see that because it's like one of his only movies that has a story. It has like a <laughs> real story. And... And it moves. It does move. It doesn't feel like two hours and eight minutes. Despite seeing that and getting upset, you will get upset when you see two hours and eight minutes. I can't change that about uh, the movie. But it does work. The story works, and it actually kind of it does. You do get swept away. There are elements that swat you away to try to get you to stop caring, like the shit monster uh, and some of Jay's lines. Really, just. They stand out in 2020 as being yeah, like, yeah. yeah, this sucks. And also, like, that's the same thing that happens when you go back and see Chasing Amy. It's like they it's, it's progressive cring- in 1997 is cringy in 2020. And I also that, think serendipity being a stripper doesn't age well either. Oh, at no. all. Yeah, no, it's rough. <laughs> neither do, neither, neither do, do the, uh, the bloods who are, you know, sitting there watching across the, the catwalk from yeah. Our guys. Oh, terror! The just really a, awful. There are a lot of, I mean, there's yeah. Go ahead, Chuck. He does not know how to write black characters, uh, but yet tries to, and a lot, especially yeah. chasing Amy and uh, and Dogma. So he doesn't. I mean, like it's uh, there's that shit. I mean, I don't. You know, I, I I the part of the reason that I don't really care about what what Jason 
or what Jay is doing or saying is because Jay's a buffoon, right? Like Jay is, uh, is, is a complete clown in this movie. He's meant to be a complete clown. No one takes him seriously. Everyone thinks he's an idiot. And I like his delivery because he reminds me of real people. Um, but there are a lot of kind of cringy decisions made in this movie. I just, that's not really, that's not really why I think the movie doesn't work. Um, I don't know. Phil, do you want to, do you want to go through the synopsis? I feel like Sean, I feel yeah, like Sean, we've got a writing for the way the movie works and I, Let's see what happens. <laughs> I mean, I, we, we, can, we, we, we have hit a fair amount of the plot, but essentially, you know, the movie opens, Fallen Angels, Bartleby, Loki. They're basically talking about how they figured out a, a loophole in order to get into heaven is to get into this church in New Jersey. Um, I kind of dug the, sorry, the very, very beginning is these teenage hockey demons essentially beating the shit out of Bud Court uh, in, I, I think it's, I think it's Jersey. Is it Jersey? Yeah, it's Asbury Park. Maybe. Uh, and then we meet Bethany Sloan, played by Linda Fiorentino. Uh, she works at an abortion clinic. Um, she is then visited by um, Metatron. It's Megatron. Not to try. Not to. It's not Megatron. I'm kidding. Um, okay. Not to jump ahead. Yeah. What okay. is going on in the scene with Bud Court? Like I like. What, maybe I just don't understand. The end scene or the first scene. Well, those are the only two scenes he's in, right? So, yeah, so this man, because it's man who is, you know, Bud, Bud Court is Bud Court, but but the only reason I know Bud Court is because he was a seventeen-year-old in Harold and Mott, not this three hundred-year-old he somehow was twenty-five years later. He's also so, an asshole in Heat. That's the only other thing that I know him. So yeah. Bud Court is on the is on the boardwalk, and these three hockey-playing demons with dead eyes just kind of attack him. And then right. at the end of the movie, we find out that his body is mm-hmm. where God is stuck. What's happening here? Okay, so God, I think if you meet God or communicate with God, your head explodes. Mm-hmm. So she likes skee-ball, so she go, she takes on a different look to play skee-ball. That way she can interact with people. And all 90s filmmakers grew up loving Harold and Maude and felt bad for Bud Court, so they would cast him in 90s movies. I feel bad. Kenny, I think from a logistical perspective, from a story perspective or plot, the impression I got was God likes skeetball, as Sean just said. When the hockey players attack him, they trap God inside this body. They don't kill him, but they knock him unconscious so that he can't escape Again, why God can't escape? Because uh, who the fuck knows? But he's imprisoned okay. in, in that body so that fucking Ben and Matt can then destroy the world. I think those two things are. I think those two things are not necessarily connected. They are connected because Jason Lee is using trapping God in that body as an opportunity to destroy the universe through. Ben and Matt. He's the one that sent them the newspaper article. He's yeah, the one who's that, but how but but all right. So here's the question, I guess. What how much of George Carlin rededicating this church was part of a plan, or was it part of no pun, or was it just serendipity that it happened serendipity. to happen? See, that's the part that I think that's what I was getting at when these two things like aren't at 
because in order for this plan to work, a church has to also rededicate itself. And I, I, I think, well, I think they're Jason waiting Lee for sees, that moment. Exactly. Yeah. Jason Lee sees that Carlin's doing this and sees that as the opportunity to seize upon it. It also, it, it, this movie's so exhausting. I don't even know why I'm doing this. It also, it also I mean, it made enough sense to me. It also, sure, because you can, you can ignore this stuff, which is fine too. But it also, uh, it, it also implies that the Catholic Church does have a direct line to God, where if you do rededicate a church, it actually has some kind of ecclesiastical purpose. Where do you see what I'm saying? Not only that, mm-hmm. later George Carlin, uh, we, we we find out he blesses his golf clubs. He's just the kind of asshole who will bless his golf clubs. So he, anything that he blesses then has the power to kill a demon. Um, I, I I think that this is a shortcut. <laughs> That's what I'm getting. It might be, but I do think this is also like universal monster rules at that point. Like where like priests can bless anything that could kill a Dracula as well. Except like that they're all but the except like Dracula isn't also about how organized religion is bullshit. So like to then say, you know, the guy who's in charge of organized religion or this particular like branch of this organized religion actually does have a direct line to God and the ability to 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 bless anything that therefore then is holding can kill a demon does seem like a shortcut that undercuts the premise of this movie, the central argument. That's again, don't know why I'm doing this. Can't help myself. Uh, so at this point, Metatron shows up, <laughs> uh, appears to Bethany, tells her that she is, uh, what is she like? She's a, she's a, somehow related to Jesus. The last sign, she is Jesus's right. nie- great, great, great niece, because right. Joseph and Mary, of you know, once well, after she had sex with God, then she had sex with Joseph a lot, and they had brothers right. and sisters. So, which I, um, which I can get on board with, by the way. That yeah. So then, basically, yeah. she's told that the two prophets um, are going to help her, and she needs to stop these angels and save the universe. Um, she's about to be killed by those fucking hockey demons when Jay and Silent Bob show up, and they are the two prophets. Um, here's another thing that Kevin Smith does very poorly: directing action. <laughs> um, he is really bad at it. Uh, it. It has no energy whatsoever. It's it's cut like shit. It just he doesn't. It's just bad. But anyway. it's it, it's easily he's fifteen years behind, especially like in that train sequence when he's throwing oh. them out of the train. Oh. I'm like, they they mastered this in like the twenties. Yeah. How are you doing this in 1999? It looks so bad. It's shocking. I mean, here's the other thing that I think we all can attest to, especially now in this, you know, franchise tentpole culture that we live in in movies. So many of these movies now, the below the line are, is on rails, right? Like a Marvel movie is on rails and oh, you've yeah. got all these people and, and it's not to take away from the directors, but like so much of it now is working. How he didn't have a competent below the line to just say, hey, Kevin, like, Stay out of the way. I got this. I'm your second unit, and I'll do your fucking action. Is shocking to me. You know why, Phil? Because because we haven't mentioned this. This is the biggest blank check movie, even though it's only ten million dollars. We will ever get because <laughs> it is 
because this is the movie more than any movie I've ever seen where no one said exactly what you're talking about because it extends. Blank check movies usually are just, I'm going to shoot what I want, but I've earned it because I'm really good. Yep. The, thing, the thing is, and, and when you're talking about the train sequence, the weird thing I started thinking about was you guys have seen Spice World, right? Sure. Uh-huh. Remember when they do the, the quote-unquote train jump? I mean, the, the, the bus jump? And they cut mm-hmm. to a uh, like a, a toy bus, yeah, like a toy. bus, and it's lovely and charming and hilarious and it's wonderful. He doesn't have the sense of humor about himself as a filmmaker to ha- to to find charm in his inability to do the big things right. So he tries to do the big things as well as he could possibly do them, and sometimes they look pretty good. Like I think the wings look amazing. And I especially think the like the broken wings look amazing, but after like, flying around and dropping people from three hundred <sighs> feet is like it's like it's subverdemic, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so I do think that this is like this is a real like Kevin Smith essentially saying, "Stay the fuck off my set." I got it. Yeah, I also do think. Uh, he he was loyal to a fault with the people he worked with like the people like his crew that he had on clerks came with him like dave klein was a cinematographer who now is like uh uh the dp on the mandalorian and like can actually like shoot stuff but he's like if you look at his imdb his first movies are clerks Mallrats, chasing amy dogma like in consecutive and then like he didn't work outside of that world. So like he was learning on the job. Kevin Smith was learning on the job. And that is just not the way to make things that are ten million dollars. But one of yeah. them one of them learned. The yeah. other one the other one didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, the, Kevin Sean, Smith should be writing like Howard the Duck car- like cartoons for the rest of his life. That's where he is. But to, to Sean's point, because you you know you talked about how there were the indie directors who wind up on Hulu shows and really people kind of get to cut their teeth within systems that are already working. You know, we've all worked on TV shows. You know, the joke is the only entry level position on a TV crew is director, which is true. <laughs> anyone anyone can walk into a TV show. Anybody yeah. yep. can walk into a TV show and be a competent director because <clears throat> there's the systems are set up for you to succeed. Um, it's. It looks like Dave Klein did the same thing with television, where Dave Klein got to go, and you know, again, DP is not exactly the same as director, but again, you are set up to succeed uh, as a episodic DP in a way that you're not uh, on an indie film. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. <sighs> It's everything that you I agree with everything both of you were saying, like for, for what you're saying, Kenny, in terms of the fact that he's been given this golden opportunity to be able to, you know, he's given a blank check. He gets to do what he wants to do. And, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Um, so at this point, Bethany and the prophets are joined by Rufus, the 13th apostle, played by Chris Rock and and serendipity, played by Salma Hayek. Um, then we have this really clunky boardroom scene with Ben and Matt where they're yelling at these uh, at a boardroom filled with CEOs and, and business types about corporate greed and all the terrible things that the, that corporate America has done. So apparently this was supposed to be like a John Woo type action sequence, which is why all these guys at this boardroom are in 
fucking like they're stunt guys. They're all like built guys. But then at the last second, he decided to not do that. <laughs> so it, it just it it's staged and blocked really poorly. It's just it's and and again, not to belabor the point, but it's so fucking talky. And like his instincts, his initial instincts were right. If he turned it into a fucking John Woo type action sequence, I might have had more interest, even though I think he probably doesn't know how to direct that. And then on top of that, like if you don't do it the John Woo way, at least build tension in, with the directing. And the tension is not built like at all. Like here he is, here he is, like an angel is going into a boardroom and revealing everyone's secrets and it just plays flat the entire time. Yeah, like yeah. there's, a, there's no emotion like other than like the CEO, which by the way, also it's the, whoever found that boardroom, it doesn't look like a major so corporation's boardroom. Yeah, it's terrible. so it's, yeah, it's poorly set designed and all that, like everything that could go wrong went wrong, but <laughs> But to not do this action sequence, there's zero tension. You just, it does, I don't care if those characters live or die. It's not a big moment for Loki. It's, it's such a bad scene, with, which should be great. It should be a great scene. Like, yeah. ev- it has all of the elements. Like, yeah. Matt Davis selling the shit out of it. And, like, yeah. that thing with the onion and doing, doesn't go anywhere. Nothing goes anywhere. <laughs> I, and 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 again, just to be a baby, Kevin Smith is telling me that he has problems with corporate America. Yeah. This guy who worships at the altar of Marvel and DC is telling me that like people who sell fast food to kids should be murdered. Now, I'm not saying that they shouldn't, but I am saying that it's a really, it's a really boring and trite argument for someone to make out of nowhere. It's a real. It's the kind of argument you make just to score points when he actually isn't in any way investigating why he feels that way or why these characters feel that way. And then on top of that, Sean, just to bring it back to like your other podcast with us or one of your other two podcasts. What is Catholics? What are what is the Catholic obsession with righteous kills? Because <laughs> Boondock is. About- <laughs> And this movie, these two characters, now granted, these two characters are played as evil and they deserve credit for that. But there is this idea that, like, you sin, you die. Well, that is what you are told your entire life is anything, it doesn't matter what the sin is. If you do not ask for forgiveness from God, you die and you deserve it. Yeah, you go to hell and burn for eternity. But the beauty of Catholicism is you can kill somebody and then ask for forgiveness and you're still allowed to enter heaven and sit by. So that's this like weird fantasy of a particular type of Catholic guy is that they can murder and get away with it. I guess like the Kevin Smith's crowd, and again, like he plays that as that's about the worst thing you could do or be. Uh, You know, like every Jew, I don't know if you've had this, Phil, but every Jew has played the little game in their mind, which is like, so you're telling me if I fast on Yom Kippur, I'll be absolved absolved of all my sins, and then it doesn't matter what I did. If I die that night, I go straight to heaven? That's pretty good. Maybe I'll just kill myself that night or run in front of traffic. So I, I I do I do understand that dream of being able to do whatever you want to do. I, I don't understand like that. This is the difference. This is why this movie is worthwhile. And Boondock Saints is a heap and pile of shit because Boondock Saints is clearly like 
you know, the it's like the 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 filmic arm of the worst impulses of Catholicism. Yeah, like if Boondock yeah. Saints was made now, the Boondock Saints would be killing the people the priest molested right? <laughs> for tempting for tempting those poor priests. Right, that's right. <laughs> Um, so at this point they're on the tr- oh sorry they they see the, the fucking they, they they kill the shit demon that thing shows up. Um, so then they're on the train. Uh, Bob throws the angels off the train after Bartleby tries to kill Bethany. Here's a question: kicks the guy off the train and then says no ticket. Is that a Last Crusade reference? I believe it is. And okay. I, as I was watching it last night, I was like, "It doesn't make sense at all." Like it's just like, anyway. like Silent Bob, who never talks, chooses to just say a line from a movie he likes in this life or death situation. Yeah, it just it doesn't make sense. We're now at the point where they realize that if they can convince George Carlin to not do the celebration, then the angels can't get into the church and all will be averted. But of course, George Carlin is not having any of that because he's a capitalist, I guess. I think that was the the realist moment about Catholicism. (laughs) (laughs) That's where he really nailed it. Catholicism. We, we, we haven't talked about two things. We haven't talked about Catholicism. Wow, which is funny. Yeah. And Buddy G, Buddy Jesus, which is yeah. kind of a meme. And I actually, or Buddy Christ, I mean. And I actually, yeah. uh, I think Buddy Christ Buddy is Christ. kind of funny too, in its own way. So. Yeah. But it, Buddy Christ is very funny, and also like like the thing about it being sad is like that. That's like pretty good. Like he. He steals a Bill Hicks joke and then uh, improves upon it with uh, Buddy Christ. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that, yeah, honestly, yeah, Buddy yeah. Buddy Christ Buddy Christ works. Yeah, Buddy Christ is all right. Yeah, but I like. Truth be told, I liked George Carlin in this movie, even though in a weird sort of way, which I think speaks to Kenny's point earlier. He kind of doesn't belong in this movie in a weird way. Like he actually hurts. He helps the plot. He hurts the thesis. The 100. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. Think- and also it is a stunt casting at that time. Like yeah. to, to cast George Carlin as a, like a, he's a Bishop, right? Or a Cardinal. He's a Cardinal. Yeah. yeah. That's like, uh, can you believe our preeminent uh, atheist comedian is playing a cardinal? Like, <laughs> but I think I think uh, I think Carlin and Chris Rock are the kind of stunt casts that elevate your movie really high. Getting the seal, the comedy seal of approval from people like them, who I think basically, you know, Sean, we were we we talked to you about having you on for for some big standups. This year, and Which I two, don't want to do very much. So, yeah. two of the biggest stand-up uh, shows, the biggest stand-up, um, I guess, the um, sets or acts or whatever, uh, where Carlin had a thing and Chris Rock had a thing. Like they were still two of the biggest stand-ups in the world at the time, probably along with Seinfeld. And uh, having them, those guys who don't act a lot in your movie, kind of meant that like this is to be taken as seriously as possible from a comedic standpoint. 
A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, even then, I would say they were probably top five and they are still top five of all time at, yeah. uh, uh, now. I would say top five working then and, and now. I mean, if, if, if someone said they were they're, they're, they were they're one and two, I don't think you would think any less of that. No. So, yeah, to have that actually is giving some, like, hey, look, like, Kevin Smith is a great comedy writer. He got two of the funniest people on the planet to uh, say this script is a complete shit. Yeah. I would I would also say, too, um, Chris Rock is one of those guys that can almost make anything funny. Yes, almost. and he's almost. But And what why I think Chris Rock is very good in this movie where he kind of wasn't in other movies of the late 90s. Like, I remember seeing, like, Nurse Betty and being kind of disappointed by him. That's a weird movie, uh, too. Like, yeah. I, yeah. Kevin, Kevin Smith is giving him bits to do. So he's just doing stand-up the entire movie. Like, every single thing he does is a bit some of it is cringy like i could go for a two piece and a biscuit is a problematic line to give to probably one of the funniest people ever to say never mind a black comic yeah i mean chris rock works in this film because he's kind of just being to your point he's just being chris rock right like he's doing bits and he's giving him just you know monologues and chris rock's delivery is always funny like even if he's delivering bad dialogue the way he delivers it in inherently is funny yes agree i i i don't know why he's there i don't really understand why <laughs> but that's neither here nor there i like this deployment of chris rock sure. because which is a little different than um a lot of other top stand-ups are used when you put a tell when you put a guy in your movie who's known for being a cerebral stand-up be it a Carlin or a Chris Rock or a Chappelle or almost any cerebral stand-up who's not like kind of clouding up there, Eddie Murphy even. They're almost always high-status guys, smartest guy in the room. And it's not that Chris Rock isn't high-status or smartest guy in the room, but he is not leading this journey. He's like kind of the buddy. And there's something very uh, endearing about the Chris Rock of this movie. He's got kind of a brother-sister thing going on with Linda Fiorentino. I completely trust him from a moral, moral and ethical place. It's my, it's probably my favorite use of Chris Rock in a movie ever, which is a real weird to say, weird thing to say. But he makes really horrible movies. I've never seen top five. Apparently, <laughs> no, I think you, I think you are right. Like, because uh, I've seen a huge portion of uh, Chris Rock's filmography like and this is probably his strong one of one of his strongest outings in terms of like I also it's playing to his strength it's playing to his strength and he is kind of knocking it out of the park when he has to like do like love scenes and stuff that's where I think he gets like awkward and fumbling he's actually quite good in this new season of Fargo showing uh another sort of tool that he has in his tool belt that I that I'm not sure I knew he had. Um he can be pretty menacing and he can he can have sort of gravity yeah, in yeah. a way that's really interesting and is weaponized in Fargo this season that could perhaps be a new lane for him to do other things. I, I we'll see. Who knows if anything will come of that. But to your point, in terms of comedy, 
this is him just like knowing how to kill this, and I think he does a good job. Um, so we're now at uh, the scene with uh, with George Carlin where he says that he's not going to stop the celebration. Um, Silent Bob steals one of his golf clubs, which becomes a real Deus Ex Machina as we uh, as we get deeper into the film. Um, but that happens. They get. They get trapped. They basically get held hostage by Azrael and these fucking demon hockey teenagers. Um, and this is a real sort of like, this is just Jason Lee just chewing scenery, essentially. And this scene in this bar, which couldn't be uglier, goes on and on and on. And on. It, yeah. Yes, it, it felt like eternity. Uh, like, I, I totally understood why Bartleby and Loki were going on this uh, this little adventure, because eternity is long. <laughs> <laughs> I also think, like, this is, and again, I don't mean to keep beating a dead horse on this, but and, and to keep saying all of the ways that Kevin Smith is not a good filmmaker, but like the golf club reveal of the fact that it's going to be the thing that kills him goes on. He just makes such a fucking meal out of it. It's like a good minute, minute and a half, maybe two minutes of like, hit me with it, hit me with it, hit me with it. Then he opens up his shirt and you're just like, we know what the fuck is going to happen here. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Like any, like, yeah, they really, they really do. Like he keeps like looking to Salma Hayek. Who's like nodding. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like it's crazy. Like, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is the type of thing where like, I agree with you, Sean, that, that for, this is a pretty, uh, breezy two hour movie. Like it doesn't fe- but if you were, better about the editing and tighter about this movie and you get it down to closer to 90 minutes i think perhaps some of kenny's issues which are completely valid i just think the movie would have moved a little bit more briskly and it wouldn't have felt so ponderous and sort of up its own ass yes yeah and i what's what's odd is like uh yeah, I mean, you're 100%. You could cut a half hour out of this movie. Like, and, <laughs> and it'll be great. Like, I think it would have been much better for it. But uh, yeah, that's what it is. Well, we got a two hour and eight minute movie. So we get to the church and Bartleby and Loki. Bartleby is going on a killing spree. It basically has killed all the prisoners and, and killed uh, George Carlin as well. Um, they think all is for naught. Basically, then... Bethany puts together that God is inside Bud Court's body, which just coincidentally needs to is at a hospital within literally like walking distance of this church. Which he, uh, which he coincidentally like puts together because Jason Muse kind of like randomly says something. Yes. You're like you're like that dead guy. Yes. What I will say is the hospital that uh, <laughs> Jersey John, John Doe Jersey is staying at yeah. is really like a five minute walk from the church that this is supposed to be. Well, I believe that. I believe I believe the logistics, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, in New Jersey geography, it's it, while it's coincidental, it actually works and tracks. That that the 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 coincidence of the geography doesn't bother me because we're in the viewers universe. And there are certain rules of the viewers universe that you just have to come, you just have to accept. And one is that everything that is ever important is taking place within a five mile radius in New Jersey. And that just yeah, is it, what 
They that's they go with it's the Tri Town area. That's the VSQ universe. It's the it's Atlantic Highlands, Leonardo, uh, and Red Bank. There you go. Uh, so she runs to the hospital. She disconnects John's life support. Not really sure what this film is saying about euthanasia. I'm not really sure we need to unpack it, but I don't know that it's, I don't know what it's saying. I think that's a coincidence almost, but <laughs> I mean, seriously. Um, and then I will say if he had yeah. anything to say about euthanasia, he would have said it. <laughs> yeah, a character would have literally <laughs> said it. You're totally right. <laughs> Because we, we also failed to mention that she works at Planned Parenthood. Yes. Like he is, he is upfront, and he's like, "This is a big fucking problem with the with the church from the beginning." So yeah, yeah. Although, just to be clear, early drafts, Bethany's a stripper. Shocker. And then he's like, "Maybe I should make her working in an abortion clinic." So like, and then he turns uh, serendipity into a stripper. Had to have a stripper in it. I mean, that was it. it yeah. It's just a matter of who, really, when it came to. Yeah. So, um, anyway, Bethany is injured in this explosion. Blah blah blah. They Bartleby reaches the church entrance. He's confronted by God, which is now manifested in the Canadian emo singer songwriter Alanis Morissette, which speaks to me obviously, and I'm fine with it. But uh, she shows up. She does some weird like scream thing that kills him and makes his head explode. Um, Bob arrives with Bethany's lifeless body. God resurrects her and also impregnates her. Nice. Um, and God, uh, Metatron, Rufus, and Serendipity return to heaven, leaving Bethany and the prophets to reflect on the past and the future. And thus, we are at the end of Dogma. So there was, a, there was I do really like the last 10 minutes or so. I like everything that Alanis Morissette. I like ten minutes. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, I like everything that Alanis Morissette. I like the way she looked. I like the great. way she doesn't talk. I like the way she touches his nose. I like her little smiles. I there is just something about her that, like, if you're going to put God on on screen, it's a tough thing to do. That you fail pretty much every time, and she does kind of hit this this sweet spot between too serious and too twee. Um, so I thought that was cool. I also thought Affleck sold the fucking shit mm -hmm. out of the end of this movie. I, I thought he brought everything he has to the end of this movie. I think the way he broke down was great. I think the way he hugged her was great. I think everything was fantastic. Uh, I, you know, I made, I made very big Ben Affleck, the human fan outside of all the bad things he's done, but I like the bad. <laughs> I like the I like the Ben Affleck career trajectory from a like reading about it on Wikipedia page standpoint a lot. Uh, so I'm always kind of intrigued by uh, what Ben Affleck is doing at any period in his in his life and career. Um, so I thought I, I I really thought that like the end kind of worked really nicely. Um, and I think, I think the end works too. I, I mean, think I think that, more, I, I, I I honestly I think I bumped it up about twenty points. From where I was planning on giving I, it to what I wound up giving. I think that just to, to piggyback on your Alanis Morissette thing, you know, I love Holly Hunter. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Holly Hunter's always great. I don't know that Holly Hunter brings what you're talking about, Kenny, to these final scenes. You know Too what I mean? Sorry? Too much gravitas. Yeah. I, to your point, when, uh, when Alanis Morissette kisses Jason Muse on the cheek and then just smiles, mm -hmm. she really, to your point, like, she kind of lights up the screen. It's not something that I ever really yeah. thought I would associate with Alanis Morissette, but she is really great in it. Um, 
and and I agree with you that Ben Affleck brings it in the final scenes. I think the movie ends pretty strong, all things considered. What, what about you, Sean? Uh, completely agree. I love the ending. In fact, loved it so much more than I liked it, even in 1999. Because uh, I remember being kind of annoyed at the Alanis Morissette reveal uh, as like a 14 year old, just because I'm like, I felt like I was very immersed in pop culture of the day. And I was like, who is this for? But then watching it now, I was like, this was great. It actually kind of solidifies it as this like perfect time capsule. It made me happy. Uh, like it, it really did. And I almost feel like uh, through thinking about Dogma all last night and today, I keep going back to the end. And it did make me happy. Like, I think I like Dogma a lot. Oh, I didn't convince you. Shit. I, I also think <laughs> that I, I want to I say something else, too, because I don't feel like we've talked about him enough. But Alan Rickman is really fucking good in this movie. He is. Um, Alan Rickman absolutely gets the – he understands the movie he's in. He understands the tone of it. I mean, we have we, we recently discussed uh, Galaxy Quest, which is obviously a, a vastly superior film to this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, – Alan Rickman, when it comes to comedy, like he just totally fucking gets it. And like these are two very broad performances that he absolutely brings his A game to. So much so, in fact, that like Jason Muse was like, he memorized all his lines because he was afraid to upset Alan Rickman or some shit like that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, and it shows because he is like truly the best part of the movie. And it's like also from that time where like it wasn't all British people in all of our movies, <laughs> like yeah, so like correct. So like he they stood out. I I think we've, we're all better for it now because they have like a wide. They actually like learn how to do everything correctly. And Alan Rickman should have done more comedy. But, he's mm-hmm. he's it's it's really interesting because like you know <laughs> in lesser hands. You know, the scene when he uh, appears to Bethany could be really clunky and bad. And and quite frankly, my guess is that Kevin Smith didn't direct Alan Rickman much. Alan Rickman just got it and was like, no, especially like talking about like all the would be casting and like knowing Kevin Smith's like winkiness. I guarantee the original voice of God, he was writing it for James Earl Jones uh, because of like the Star Wars connection. Sure, sure. And James Earl Jones probably read the screenplay and was like, no, there's, there's so much <laughs> more. I don't do that much. Like, I just have a good voice. Yeah. So getting, I just made this up in my head, but that's my assumption. But getting to Alan Rickman, like Alan Rickman, I kind of watching it in my head, even remembering it, I always thought Megatron was a much bigger character in the movie. He's only in like a couple scenes. But every scene he's in is so much better because he's in it. Like that scene at a Mexican restaurant is great. And he's like tossing out like fun little lines about like the Illinois Mexican restaurant. And I love them. Rest in peace. Yeah. yeah. He was, he was fantastic. He was yeah. I mean, I, I, that's yeah. I, don't, I love his face. No one has a face like him. Yeah. Um, so do you want to rate this movie, Kenny? Yeah. I think you should go first. I'm waiting all fucking podcast. All right. Uh, in, <laughs> in 99, I'm giving it a 95. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, in, before I watch this movie. Uh, <laughs> is, this the, is this the steepest drop for you from 99 to present day? 
no question about it. Um, this and the other one, well, it's not. It wasn't nearly as steep a drop, but well, maybe it was. The, the American Beauty is the one that really is like, yeah, like went, went from like this is everything to me to like. I have to just like really question what I. I was think thinking. most of America went through that with American Beauty, though. <laughs> some of America, some of America hasn't hasn't done it yet, but um, but everyone will eventually because once you know once you put it back in, you're like, oh, this is what I loved. Oh God, how horrible. Um, but okay, anyway. Dogma ninety five, uh, ninety five. After this podcast or before the podcast, I gave it a thirty nine. Thirty nine was a was. It's funny because I was originally going to give it um, a 34. I was originally going to give it a 19. And then the last 10 minutes like kind of jumped up and I was going to give it a 34. And then I remember walking up the stairs and being like, actually, I feel kind of good right now. Like I, I, like, I feel kind of good. I, I, want, I want a rating that will reflect that I think this is a bad movie. But something that makes it very clear that I do not hate this movie. Which is a thirty-nine. After this podcast, I'm gonna. You miss. Was that you missed the key opportunity to go thirty-seven, the most important number in the VSQ universe. What is why is thirty-seven the most important number? I'm so embarrassed. That's because in Clerks, uh, she sucked thirty-seven dicks in oh. a row, and <laughs> Kevin Smith. Every jersey he sells is number thirty-seven. Is thirty-seven. Does that 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 was right before the snowball thing. That was when you found out why why the guy's name was Snowball. Yeah, so funny that never left me because that's such a you know that's such an image. But thirty seven, I forgot. I'm gonna give it thirty nine because you know I, I I went there. I wish I had thought of thirty seven, which seems like a good number for it. But I don't think it's like the piece of fucking shit monster shit that I thought before. Um. I, I would also say if I gave it a rating what I thought I was going to give it, I thought I was going to give it like a 15. So it's so much better than I thought it was. All right. Um, in 99, I probably would have given it a 63. I, I did not like this movie, but like I didn't hate, like I, I didn't hate it. I thought it was fine. Um, as, as most of Kevin Smith's movies, when I've seen them, I often go like, sure, I get why someone might like this more than me. Um, but I also, I'm not the person that's going to say, don't watch this. Like, if it's your thing, it's your thing. Um, I Before this podcast, I was at a 69. Nice. Um, yeah. it, felt, it felt appropriate. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, this podcast has brought it down. Um, I, I, I am now at, I'm, I'm at a 55 now. Um, I, I think that this movie is not worth saying don't watch this movie. Um, but I also don't think that this movie is necessarily good per se. You know, I, I think that I'm, I'm, I mean, maybe I'm being a little, I, I'm in the, I'm, I'm in the high fifties, low sixties. That's where I, I, I am on this. I think that this movie has, um, the most Kevin Smith has to offer is this movie. Yeah. Um, and, and for what that's worth, take it for what it's worth. Uh, Sean. So 1999, 100%, uh, not 100, I did not give it 100, but in 1999, uh, I would probably say a nice 93. I loved it. Uh, I loved it then. Going into watching it, I was dreading uh, finding out that maybe it doesn't hold up and all that stuff. So I think I was kind of expecting this to be around like a 41 
But guys, Kenny, you said it earlier. You thought it was a masterpiece, and I think, I think so, it was. It was. It was just Kevin Smith's masterpiece. It was not an actual literal masterpiece. <laughs> but I do think it is the height of Kevin Smith, and I uh, I gave it a three and a half on Letterbox. So I'm gonna have to go probably uh, seventy. I'm gonna go seventy seventy five. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I wanted to give it four stars, but I, I talked myself out of it. Wow. <laughs> I mean, we really covered the gamut here with, with Dogma, I think. I knew it would be a good podcast, not only because Sean is on it, but also, you know, it, there's, there's, this, there's a lot to fucking chew on with this movie. And I think we could have gotten another two hours, frankly. But it was great. It was really a, a great podcast. That was a movie I've always kind of feared doing because i knew yeah. kind of deep in my bones i hated it so uh it was i was I, I was equally i knew it was I, I, had, I had very similar feelings to you which was um thank thank you sean for coming on because you're the perfect person to come on for this um in terms of not just you know your your adoration for the film but just you know Catholicism. we obviously love having you on but <laughs> it's it's just interesting that this movie was such a lightning rod. This movie was so controversial when I, I, I don't find this film particularly bold. <laughs> At all. Like, I mean, like when you watch like The Last Temptation of Christ, you're like, that, <laughs> okay, I get it. that is a lightning rod film. Like, yeah, I sure. think like, con- con- like the controversy is like, is it a good movie? Like should 1999 Matt Damon and Ben Affleck done it? Like, probably yeah. not. Like, <laughs> I, think, I, mean, I do. I do think that part of the reason why it was controversial was one. I think it wanted to be controversial. I think it. I think. It, I think that was part of the marketing campaign. And two, I do think it's pitched to seventeen-year-olds. And I think that there is. I think there's there's this idea that uh, this is a gateway drug to maybe not atheism, but but a you know secularism and there are a lot of people who that scares um you know for me i think i was kind of there and it was validating the same way like religious was validating um and now i think that's just like try bullshit but like it, it was always validating to have someone who's in the mainstream be like your particular brand of like agnosticism uh is valid in its own way so uh i do i think that i again i think there's a lot of value in this movie's existence, I just think it's really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'll say this. I, I, when the movie was done, I thought to myself, I'm glad this movie exists. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like I, I've never, I don't see myself watching it again, but I'm glad it exists. And I think it's, I I think it's probably the best Kevin can give us. And, and, and that's okay. Yeah. It's his best movie. We, uh, I, I love that he had a career. I love that he still talks. Like, I think he's a very great talker. I saw him. I met him recently. Uh, re-met oh. him. Yeah, he was on a show I was on, and I uh, talked to him at length about how much he meant to me when I was 13 and where I'm from and all that. And and it was really nice because he, he you could tell he was like, uh, when he goes to, like, Hollywood things, no one gives a fuck about him. And he seemed genuinely touched that I like tried to talk to him and I, 
Uh, but it, as a fat white guy, I think all fat white guys want to go talk to him. So I guess he was like expecting me to. He's, yeah, he eyed me and was like, all right, this guy's got to come right. and say I meant he, something to him. Is he pretty slim these days? Pretty slim, pretty slim. Yeah. And you know what? Like, he's just a nice guy. Like, I really, I really do like Kevin Smith. And I do think he probably should have some level of fame till he dies. Like, I think he is, yeah. he's worthy. Like, and I think, I know, I think he really has built up a a worthwhile empire. You know, he doesn't use his powers for evil. I give him great credit for that because there are a lot of people within this world, like the, the fandom, who could be radicalized in a really dark direction. And instead, okay. I think he has brought them to, towards the light. He deserves credit. I, I yeah, think also, I, you know, uh, past and future guest Eric Carrasco uh, worked with him on uh, on the He-Man animated show that they're doing for Netflix. Uh, you know, he's I think that's the type of stuff he should be doing. Right. Like he loves that stuff. He should be feeding that 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 beast and just having a good time. And listen, he knows who he is. Like, I don't think he's under any delusions. Um, not anymore. Uh, you know, not anymore. Maybe maybe around the time of this movie. But but certainly now he, he gets it. And and. Listen, I, I I really don't have any problems with Kevin Smith as a human. Quite frankly, I I just kind of wish that you know he was perhaps a better filmmaker at times. But Phil, what so, do you want to do next week? So next week uh, you're going to get a little blindsided by this one too, Kenny, because I recorded something uh, without you. Oh, I love shoot. you, but I recorded something yeah. without you. So uh, I did. Uh, so next week we have Katie Donahue, who's a, an executive and a friend, to come on to talk about Law and Order SVU. Talk about a, a hard turn into something completely different from Dogma. Um, we talked about uh, SVU premiering in 99. She has seen all 481 oh episodes God. multiple times. Um, so she is a big fan. And, uh, and it, was, uh, it was fun talking to her about that. Do you have any thoughts on uh, SVU, Sean? Are you, have you watched it ever? I've never watched a single episode. It's like probably, what? yeah. It seems daunting when you say something has more than 400 episodes. Uh, yeah. I probably can just never start it. Can I just tell you something that I think you, that you will both really enjoy? Something I learned because I've seen less than 10 episodes of SVU in my entire life. Olivia Benson, played by Mariska Haggerty, which I'm sure you both, was kidnapped twice on the show by the same guy. Tell <laughs> me that that's not ridiculous writing. A police officer great. being kidnapped twice by the same person? I also <laughs> have never seen an episode of SVU. Um, I've seen hundreds of episodes of Law & Order. Sure. sure. Um, but for some reason, it just is never something that like I wanted to watch. I guess Law & Order was never something I wanted to watch either. I just That's all my dad watched for like a 15-year period. For the record, um, this is, I, I surmised that, which is why I did the episode. Yeah, no, no, and, and, I'm, and I'm happy you did because I would have I would have watched like one or two episodes. Yeah. My understanding is, and this is going to sound like real dumb, uh, Law and Order is just like a straight procedural. There's no law that – I mean SVU, there's no law that order part. It's not that like that, that incredibly satisfying like bisecting of the, of the television show. Well – I, I thought the same thing, and then I was I was dissuaded of that notion in my research, which is that in season two there is a lawyer, so they do have the order part of the show that comes into play pretty consistently. I thought that was the, the, the law part of the show. 
<laughs> you know what I meant. Jesus Christ. Whatever. Well, I enjoyed the episode. I look forward to listening to it. Sean, thank you for. It's a great uh, episode. It's a lot of fun. And thank you, Sean, for being here. Thank you guys for having me. I love it. Uh, I'll come back anytime. Please come back. We'll, we'll definitely have you back soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.